We, uh, we are continuing our sermon series uh, on the 12 minor prophets, uh, 12 weeks in the minor prophets, uh, uh, so uh, it, it's been fun, and we're continuing on with uh, an old familiar book of the Bible, Zephaniah, right? We all, we all know everything there is to know about Zephaniah, right? I, I practically had it memorized from reading it so often. Uh, but no, it's obscure, and, and I hadn't read it in a really long time, and I, I didn't know what it was about uh, uh, going into this week. I, I couldn't remember. So uh, I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Zephaniah, but I, uh, I mostly this morning, I, I want to use Zephaniah as, as kind of this jumping-off point uh, to talk about an idea that I think has kind of been reverberating through the whole tune of the minor prophets, there, there's kind of been there, there, there's been layers to the minor prophets. There's been uh, there there have been all sorts of themes that keep cropping up from one to the next to the next to the next. And there's a, there's one of those themes that I think as I think back on where we've been, it's been present in each and every one, uh, but it's so subtle that I think it can get missed. And uh, I don't know for whatever reason, reading through Zephaniah uh, the last couple weeks. Uh, it, it, it kind of clicked for me. So I, I want to try to tease out this kind of subtle theme that I think has been uh, playing through uh, the, the tune of the prophets so far and, uh, and see if there's something for us to learn there. So uh, Zephaniah is pretty similar to the other prophets. It, it kind of has this, you've been bad, punishment is coming, but one day ultimate redemption uh, is coming uh, and and that's, uh, that's kind of been the theme of a whole bunch of our prophets. So I, I think this is the perfect week to kind of chase a rabbit trail. So I, I will be talking about Zephaniah, uh, but, but mostly I'll be using Zephaniah to kind of help make this point that I think has been present throughout the whole series. So uh, first, a, a brief survey of Zephaniah. So uh, we'll try to get it I don't know, maybe it'll be up on the screen, maybe it won't. You might want to turn there in, in your pew Bible. I don't know what page it is. You know what page that is, anyone? What number? 1462 in your pew Bible. These are hard to find. They're all tucked away and they're all really close together. 1462. Uh, so, as I said before, this, this book is kind of like a lot of the other prophets. It starts out with this warning about judgment. Uh, you've, you've done wrong. Uh, things have gone off the rails, and judgment is coming. Uh, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. It's coming. Uh, and then it follows up with a call to repentance. Uh, so turn. The judgment is coming. If you don't change your ways, uh, you'll be gone, maybe even forever. Uh, so repent. Turn, turn around. And then it ends with the promise of it all getting fixed uh, in the end, that God's going to piece back together everything that's kind of got uh, off kilter. So, uh, so that's kind of the general theme. But in the beginning, Zephaniah isn't messing around. Uh, and he's actually, it starts out pretty harsh right out of the gate. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both people and animals. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. When I destroy all people on the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So a real happy-go-lucky beginning uh, to, to this book. Judgment is coming to everyone and everything. No one, no one gets away from this one. 
No one escapes this one. And Judah most certainly is not exempt. The people of God don't get away from this one either. Verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place, every remembrance of the idolatrous priests. They, they haven't been faithful. They've They've been terribly unfaithful, in fact. They've turned to other gods, and it wasn't even just the lay people. It was the leaders as well. It was the priests. It was the people that should have known better that were supposed to be uh, leading their people into spiritual health, into a deep uh, abiding relationship with God. And even these leaders have been the ones that have been taking their people off the correct path. And then it even gets worse. It gets even more unfaithful. Verse 5, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry hosts, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who also swear by Moloch, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. I mean, sometimes these people are even cheating with God while he's in the room. I mean, this is, this is terrible unfaithfulness here. Uh, and, then, and then verse 7 comes, and it's a verse that's similar to one that we read in Habakkuk last week. Verse 7, be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. I love how it reads in the message. Eugene Peterson says, quiet now. Reverent silence before me, God the Master. Time's up. My judgment day is near. It's done. Uh, Time is up. Uh, Judgment is coming. So be quiet. Stop talking. Stop trying to argue your, your way out of this. And this judgment is going to come to everyone. Uh... Chapter 1, verse 8, again from the message. On the holy day, God's judgment day, I will punish the leaders and the royal sons. I will punish those who dress up like foreign priests and priestesses, who introduce pagan prayers and practices, and I'll punish all who import pagan superstitions that turn holy places into hell holes. It's harsh. It's harsh language, but it's harsh what they've done to God. Uh, So then... When we get to chapter 2, the invitation is to repentance. Like, you've gone off the rails. Like, it's gotten bad. And now you need to turn from that. You need to repent. Chapter 2, verse 1. Gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation. Before the decree takes effect, and that day passes like wind-blown chaff. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, and perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Get your, get your stuff together. Like, it's time to turn. It's time to come back. Uh, uh, it's time to humbly seek the Lord in righteousness. Uh, And maybe, just maybe, you'll be spared. Maybe you'll be safe. And you have to make things right today because judgment doesn't sound pretty and it's going to affect affect everyone. This is an all-expense-paid trip to Judgmentville and you don't want to be on that cruise ship. Uh, And this this is not going well. So turn and do it now. Like, judgment is coming quick, so you have to repent. You have to turn back. Now, so far, what we've seen in Zephaniah 
uh, is, is that he is basically arguing for faithfulness, for righteousness, for morality, for discipleship, however we want to talk about that. He's arguing for us to repent and to change our lives so that we avoid judgment. Right? That's been the argument so far. Turn back, change your ways, repent, get yourself right with God so that you avoid judgment, so that you are spared from all the terrible, awful things that are happening. Do the right thing so you don't get punished, which isn't really, a, that's not a terrible reason to do the right thing, right? It doesn't, that doesn't actually sound too terribly bad. We, we, we want our kids to do the right thing so that they don't get punished, we, we invite them to do the right thing so they won't get punished. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure that that's the best way or the best reason for us to do the right thing. And, and I'm going to argue. Uh, I think that the last half of chapter 3, as we move into Zephaniah 3, I think, I think that what Zephaniah is doing is offering us a different way of thinking about why we should repent and change our lives. I, I think he... I think he it, We've got to, we got to read a little, deep, a little deeper, but I think what he's doing is offering us an upside-down reason for faithfulness. He's kind of coming in from, from the back door instead of the front. And instead of do the right thing so you don't get punished, I think that Zephaniah is offering us something different, kind of a twist on that, a backwards way of thinking about why we do the right thing, about why we want to live righteous, upright lives, why we want to repent and change. So here's my thesis. All right, you ready? Here's my thesis. I would say that the most biblical reason, the best reason for faithfulness and righteousness, for for repentance and for actually changing our life, the best reason to do so is that in doing so, we are rehearsing for restoration. We are practicing for paradise. All right, let let me explain. All right, so Zephaniah ends his book with a section about God uh, one day restoring the faithful remnant. That's the language that Zephaniah uses uh, in the end here, that one day God is going to restore the faithful remnant. This is how he ends chapter 3, verse 19. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you, I will rescue the lame, I will gather the exiles, I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. So, so these people have been scattered in the judgment, and in the last days... Uh, God, God will kind of look through the land uh, and will reclaim the remnant, uh, the faithful ones, and they will live with him again. He will be their God and, and they will be his people. Uh, life is going to be rough. It's going to be bad. You're even going to get hauled off by other nations, but that won't last forever. And one day, God will gather up that last faithful remnant and bring them back into safety and salvation. That day is coming. So the question that I want to explore this morning is what does that mean for us? If, and, and maybe assuming that we're one of the remnant. Maybe, maybe I'm making that assumption this morning that we are the remnant. But if we are, 
uh, and God is one day going to kind of collect up, gather all his people under his wing, and we will, we will be his people, and we will have this, this uh, ultimate beautiful relationship with him, then what does that mean for us today? How does that affect the way that we live now, today? What's the proper response? How does God's plan for the future impact us today? Now, I think the temptation is to think that that's a long way off, and so it doesn't matter. Uh, it, that's, that's so far away, that's someday after I die, uh, and I'm a pretty good, faithful Christian, uh, so it doesn't really matter ultimately how I live today, because that's so far off that someday in the future I'll, even, I'll either get my own self right, or when Jesus comes back, he'll make things right, uh, and I'll be kind of off the hook. But that isn't the story that we get in Scripture. Scripture is absolutely clear that we ought not wait to get ourselves right, to, to make things right in our lives, uh, that the time is now to start living faithfully. You think about the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Right? It's not second, it's not third or fourth. Seek, focus on God's kingdom now. Make, make, nothing else takes priority over our relentless quest to experience more and more of God's kingdom here and now, you think about Mark chapter 1. Jesus' first words that he uses in the book of Mark is an announcement of God's kingdom. He essentially says the time has come. The kingdom is here, so repent. Change your life and do it now. Don't wait any longer. There's an urgency in Jesus' first words in Mark. Uh, we, we don't wait we don't prolong, even though God's going to collect the remnant someday, maybe far into the future. We don't know when that's coming. So the time is now for us to get our act straight. Uh, l- let, me, let me maybe explain it a little differently. Uh, uh, turn over to Revelation chapter 21, if, if you've if you got your Bible, if you're following along. This is at the very, very end, uh, the penultimate chapter uh, of the whole Bible uh, and then we'll get back to Zephaniah in, in a few moments. Uh, so Revelation chapter 21, starting with verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sea is darkness, it's evil, it's chaos, it's calamity. So that's gone. And a new heaven and a new earth has replaced all of the chaos and calamity. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. It's not far off. It's come. I saw it coming out of the sky. And I'm going to assume that that's not literally where God's kingdom is going to come from, the sky. This is metaphorical. But still, it's coming. The point is that it was seemingly far away, and now it has come, it has come close. Look, God's, his dwelling place is now here among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the picture uh, that John gets of what Zephaniah, I think, is trying to explain uh, in his uh, his book as well, in his his prophecy. Uh, Heaven isn't so much a place that we go to. Uh, It's not this place that's somewhere out there. 
that we're going to escape to someday. I think what John is saying is that uh, heaven is nearer than that. It's more of a realm, a reality, a way of living and moving and having your being. Heaven is when God shows up. Heaven is wherever God is present. Uh, And we are in ultimate uh, deep communion with him. Heaven is the reality of things being the way that God intended them to be. There was never meant to be separation. And so heaven uh, is when we are reunited with God in a deep and abiding way. Uh, And this beautiful reality seems to be coming here to this place. We're not going elsewhere to find it. It seems to be showing up here on our doorstep. So now, the question is, if heaven and earth are going to be reunited, if heaven and earth, if the space between those places is kind of collapsing in on itself, and heaven is in some way crashing in to earth, and God will grad, God's will will gradually be done more and more often here as it has always been done in God's perfect reality, heaven. Would that be a good thing? If that's happening, if the space between heaven and earth is collapsing and heaven is crashing in and heaven will suddenly be in this place, not somewhere else, would that be a good thing? And I mean that question. I mean that question. Uh, If you were suddenly in the presence of God, like Moses and some of the other prophets have been, would that be an exciting thing? And I think the the temptation is to easily spout off, yeah, absolutely, I'd want to be in God's presence. But as I think about my life and the way that I live, sometimes I wonder if that wouldn't be kind of awful. If the way I'm living my life, if God was suddenly in my presence— if it wouldn't be sort of exposing uh, and, and would, wouldn't be holding me accountable in a way where I'm not, I'm not used to that and I'm not ready for that, and it actually would be uh, uh, kind of hellish, at least, for a, at least in that instant. If suddenly we were completely and utterly invaded by the perfect, loving, peaceful, joyful, generous, gracious presence of God. Suddenly God is in our midst, heaven has crashed into earth, and we are suddenly in perfect union with the God of the universe. Now, here in this place, would that be a good thing? Would we enjoy it? Would we have, or... Would we have to quickly learn or change or alter the way that we have been living in order to find ourselves fitting in with the way of God that is now present in our world? Would we be comfortable in the new heaven and the new earth? Or would it take some adjustment? Uh, Would the way that we've been living kind of set us at odds with the, the beautiful, good, perfect way of God that would now be in our presence? Or would we feel out of place? And now imagine, imagine if you're someone who's bitter. You're hard-hearted. Uh, you, you judge other people. Uh, just not happy. Kind of an angry existence. There's just a bitterness that pervades your life. Even though you call yourself a Christian, there's just bitterness that's deep down inside there. Just can't let things go. Just can't be happy for yourself or for others. And suddenly, the world is invaded by complete and utter joy. Would that feel like heaven to you? Like, 
your life is ruled and reigned by bitterness, and suddenly you're in the presence of complete and utter joy, I think it would take us off, it would put us off guard for, for a second. Imagine if you're someone who struggles to forgive. Man, I just, I, I harbor bitterness. I, I can't let things go. Uh, I'm still thinking about that person that harmed me years and years ago. I still think bad thoughts about them. I still wish evil upon them. I just, uh, or even just neutral, like, man, it just drives me crazy. I can't let that thing go. I can't forgive. And then the world was invaded by the one who is complete forgiveness, by the one who is willing to go to the cross in order to forgive all of the world's sins, all the things that we have done to wrong God, Would that feel like heaven to us? Uh, Imagine if we're stingy or uncompassionate. We just, we don't share our things. We hoard our things. We don't keep, we don't, we don't let other people share them with us. We keep them to ourselves and and we are just stingy and uncompassionate. And then we were suddenly in the presence of absolute generosity. Would that feel like heaven or would it feel more like hell? Uh, Imagine, uh, imagine a, a, a Christian racist, which unfortunately, isn't an oxymoron. Imagine somebody who, who, who struggles with bigotry and racism, uh, who thinks bad thoughts about people who are different than them, who doesn't want to connect with, with somebody who doesn't share their own skin color or their own ways of thinking. Uh, imagine that person suddenly being in the presence of people from every tribe and every tongue throughout the, the, the entire course of human history. Would that be heaven or would that feel like hell in that moment? Uh, now, now, hopefully, we would be excited about being in God's perfect presence. But if I'm being honest with myself, uh, I might feel a little out of place, at least for a moment, if suddenly I was in the presence of, of God and, and all of his perfection. We might feel a little out of place because, we wait, because of the way that we too often choose to live here and now. I'm not sure that my actions... Uh, very often align with with the ethics, the, the way, the practices of God's kingdom. And so if I were s- suddenly uh, immersed in God's kingdom, I feel like there might be a little bit of clash. There might be a little bit of tension, unfortunately. So then the goal, I, I think for John here in Revelation, and I think especially for all the prophets, including Zephaniah today, if, is for us to get out in front of the curve. For us to get out in front of the wave, to start living now in ways that are congruent with the world that God is one day bringing forth. If God is one day going to gather the faithful remnant under his wing and we are going to be his people and he is going to be our God, then I want to start practicing for that paradise. I want to start rehearsing for that restoration. I want to start living in a way right now that will be one day in sync with the new world that God is one day bringing. I don't want to wait any longer. I want to start practicing that way of life right now in this moment so that in any, at any moment when God's kingdom is here in my presence, it will just feel like paradise. It will feel like we are in sync. Uh, so to 
to bring us back to Zephaniah. The message behind the message, the point beyond the point, the truth that's been sitting just below the surface of all of these prophets is to make sure that we are living like the remnant, like the faithful remainder now. Not one day. Not, not on that day that God comes to gather up all his people. Let's start doing it now. Let's start living faithfully now. Let's, let's make sure we're living like the remnant, the faithful remainder now. If we're the remnant, the faithful, the followers of Christ, the church, then the goal is to live now in a way that fits with the way the world will one day operate. Things are going to change when we are, are in the complete and utter presence of God. So, man, can I start to live that way now, that we'll be in sync with that? The calling is to make sure that we are living faithfully now in preparation for the day of restoration that one day awaits. We are rehearsing for restoration. We are practicing for paradise. We are trying to get ourselves in tune with God. Let's live like the remnant now and not wait. Now, Zephaniah uh, gives us some suggestions of what that might look like. And if, if you scan through uh, chapter 3, Zephaniah 3, he kind of gives us some suggestions of what it might look like to get our lives in sync uh, with the way that God's kingdom will one day be present here. Like verse 12 of chapter 3, uh, Zephaniah encourages us to make sure that we are counted among the meek and the humble. Meekness and humility will be a part of God's kingdom. Jesus is clear about that. So can we be people who are practicing meekness and humility now, not later, now? Verse 13 challenges us to make sure that we've rid our lives of evil, of lying and deceit and fear. It's calling us to live in the freedom that God has come to bring us. Verse 15 reminds us that God should be our king and no one else. He is the one who reigns supreme in our life. No other empire. No other king, no other president, no other congress, no other political party, nothing. God is our supreme ruler. And he will be, he is today, he will be tomorrow, and and he should be on Wednesday morning after any vote that happens as well. He is our king. Verse 16 urges us to make sure our hands are raised in rightful praise to God, not limp and unworshipful and ungratefully at our sides. Uh, But the question is, what's your thing? What's my thing? What's your struggle? What's my struggle? What's our struggle together? What's that characteristic that you're embarrassed of? Man, I have that thing uh, that I do all the time, and I I would be embarrassed to be in God's presence uh, knowing that I have that thing about me that I do uh, that most certainly is ungodly. What's that thing that you do that isn't very Christian? Man, when I'm, when I'm behaving like that, when, man, I, when I get frustrated with my kids and I'm yelling at them before bed because they're just not listening, man, I'm sure glad that you guys aren't there in the room. Right? I mean, what's that thing where I wouldn't want anyone else to see me, me do that, behave in that way? What's, what's that behavior that you still hang on to that most certainly wouldn't belong in God's new perfect reality that is on its way here to earth? Man, if God showed up right now, if heaven crashed into earth right now, that, that characteristic, 
that trait, that pattern, that habit, that sinful way of living, uh, whatever, that thing that I do, that would not fit with God's new kingdom that was coming here to this place. And then can we own up to those things? Can we be more aware of our hellish tendencies? Can we begin to get rid of anything that wouldn't fit in God's new kingdom? Let's, let's make sure that we're living like the remnant, the faithful remainder of God's people now, today, in this place. Let's make sure that we're living faithfully now in preparation for the day of restoration that is one day coming. Let, let's live now, today, as if we're rehearsing for that restoration. We're practicing for that paradise. Let's pray. Linnea, can you go down and get the kids and have them come up? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you remain faithful to us. You wouldn't need to be. We know that you count us worthy, but man, we don't deserve any of that. Uh, we, We thank you for how you love us and you care for us and you you are one day going to right the ship. You are going to one day be here in this place and we will be living in utter and complete communion with you. But now, Lord, help us to live as if that day has already come. Give us the strength to get rid of those old patterns that just don't fit in your kingdom, that aren't, that aren't in sync with your ways that don't look like Jesus, that don't sound like Jesus, that aren't the way that Jesus invited us to live and move and have our being. God, uh, we give you all of these prayers, knowing that you can help us do so. In Jesus' name, amen.